Who? Michael Jackson. You know him, like, personally? Yeah. I used to stay in that over his house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Is that why you walk funny? <laughs> <laughs> Knock that cheeseburger out of your fat face. <laughs> Take your gun, and you ain't gonna catch me because you're gonna quit running after 10 seconds. Sponsored by ACM, Air Conditioned Muscle. Cody, Wyoming. Try the best place I ever spent a fire assignment on. That's probably God's country to me. Cody, Wyoming? Have you told me this story before? No. Actually, a pretty good story. Let's hear it. I'm on a hot shots. <clears throat> fire in the wilderness. And bears are pretty predominant out there to the point where they bring us all in. They show us this video of this bear pretty much snapping a 12, 13-inch uh, DBH tree in half. And so they fly us out. Actually, probably one of the best trips I've ever had. They fly us out. We hike in. We set up our camp. And then they bring um, outfitters. Is that what they're called? Packers, outfitters. So they come in horseback every couple days to bring us food. Um, they brought in a like an iron stove and a lady stayed. A lady stayed there twenty four seven. So we woke up, she made us breakfast, she packed us lunch, and she made us dinner. This was on assignment. Yeah. So the the incident paid for that. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Because it was so remote, right? And it's wilderness, light hand on the land type stuff. Gotcha. Okay. And. Um, Really nice lady. She want, We were taking crew pictures. Oh, take your shirts off. <laughs> nice old lady. Oh, I was going to say, man. And uh, there was a guy to stay with us. He carried a 12-gauge shotgun. We all had bear spray. That remote. Yeah. Like that in the yeah. wilderness. Yeah. Like wilderness, wilderness. And uh, I remember I was looking out one day, and they're all calling me on the radio. Hey, you hear that? Because, you know, I'm by myself. Bear, get a brother up in here. You know? And I'm like, hey, you better knock that off. So it was really cool, man. And then the fire got super, super active. Yeah. I'm like, all right, it's time to leave. <clears throat> There's nothing one crew can do. Yeah. And they brought in horses and mules. And I have a picture somewhere. Um, we rode horses out. I don't know how many hours it was, but it was a pretty sweet trip. And then we're driving back to headquarters, and the lady's drinking beer and driving. And there's a checkpoint at this bridge. Cop stops. Talks to her, let her go. You know, open container. That don't happen here in California. So especially, you know, in the metropolitan area. That was a really good trip. That was fun. Right on, man. Just what, a cool experience. What year was that? I don't know. Can't even uh, remember now. No, I was a squad boss. Probably like last week when I was 24. <laughs> yeah, last week. Well, this is going to be part two of Neil and kind of just a, what would you call this, an update, 
uh, a practice run. And kind of what brought this up was we had a really good guest last week. Was it last week? Yeah. Yeah, last week. And our sound was just jacked up. Jacked up. So we felt that it wouldn't do it justice if we kept it up. And so now we're doing this one. This one will be technically episode two. Episode three, part part two of, of the Neil Gamboa series. Oh, series like a, like a, back by popular demand. Like people binge on the Neil Gamboa series. Yep. So, yep. So hopefully, uh, losers. Yeah. What? Well, come on, get a life. <laughs> uh, hopefully, this sound is going to be better, which I I think it is because TJ freestyles. I mean, <laughs> the 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 technical guy's not here. Our nerd isn't here. We got another nerd, which is me. So. Um, all right, man. So today, I think we're going to talk about a variety of subjects. I think I want to start out with this news story that we were talking about a while ago, and it kind of ties into to what the overall uh, theme of this episode. But I was listening to uh, KFI when I was driving to your house last week. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> a fake DEA agent was arrested in Oregon and this is the crazy part he had a trainee a woman that he met somewhere and he had her convinced that she was in training to be a DEA agent for over a year and she never once questioned it but she also was or at that time in school yeah. for criminal justice, right? It's it's insane. And just so I'm, I'm reading this article, USA Today, how he got caught or how they got caught. He was seen standing by a vehicle with a, uh, this vehicle he had, had police lights on his license plate and inside the car. And they saw a tactile vest in the open trunk that said DEA police on it. And so the cop goes up to him and he's like, hey, man, are you, are you a narc? And apparently what gave him away was the guy was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fed. No one says that, apparently. If you're in a federal law enforcement officer, no one calls himself a, a fed, apparently. So they found holsters, more tactical vests, handcuffs, badges, and all sorts of stuff. So... The other crazy part is he tried to play it off because he he's into cosplay. You know what cosplay is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like role-playing, costume. I want to be a fireman, so let's play fireman. I buy, spend all this money, buy all this gear, and I pretend like I'm a fireman. And I'll take it one step further. Have you heard of the furries? No. you never heard of furries? Uh-uh. They go around and they dress up like dogs and cats. And they legitimately are convinced that they're dogs and cats. So they do everything dogs and cats do. They have owners that walk around on leashes. If you weren't my friend, I'd get up and leave right now. <laughs> yeah, don't mind that costume over there. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kids, I promise. So here, the interesting thing is like, first you go, that shit's stupid. But he had to be very charismatic 
and convincing. He possessed some kind of skill set to to take this person in, onto this journey, right? Yeah. But when I was younger, 15, 16, I met a person. He was probably 25, 26, talked a big game, talked a big game. And I was just like, and he fronted a lot. Um, he legitimately had a CCW. So I was like, oh, man, this dude's a thug, right? And then one time we were with a bunch of ladies. And he's like, hey, man, go get us some stuff. Take my car. I didn't even have a license, dude. And uh, he's like, hey, heads up. The Mac 10's under the seat. I'm like, and this is serious, dude. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you? Gosh, I had to be 15. Yeah. Maybe even younger. I didn't have a license, man. I was running the streets. Remember I talked about the trailer oh, yeah, park? Yeah, so yeah. that guy lives in the trailer park. And I go to Baker's or something, and I reach under the seat because I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> it was a BB guy, dude. <laughs> Because he was very charismatic yeah. to a young mind who didn't yeah. know any better. And he would, he spent money. He would take me and my buddy out. We would go to like pizza joints. He'd buy beer. We all hang out. And he had friends. We all hang out. And he was in this car club. And <clears throat> when I, when I found that BB gun, I, that's when I kind of woke up and started questioning. And then I started listening to all the stuff that came out of his mouth. And I was like, man, this dude is bogus, you know? But he had me. He got me. It's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So I think one of the things you want to talk about today is situational awareness. So with your childhood, and as you like to joke around, but you are serious when you say I'm from the streets, how has that affected your situational awareness in your daily life now? Uh, growing up, single mom, <clears throat> everything's dangerous. I remember she said, don't stick your arm out the window. Someone drive by and chop it off. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Serious, right? Um, my life as a youth was uh, very free in a sense of like, you, we didn't lock the doors. You ran the streets. When you said you were going out and play, there was no cell phone that attached to you, no homing beacon, if you will. So it was pretty safe, but I was always taught to be on your guard. Um. You know, obviously, times change where there's a lot more bad people. And and maybe it's not a lot, lot more bad people, but there's a lot of people who don't care. They only care about themselves, yeah. so they won't intervene. Yeah. They won't say, hey, that's wrong. So, uh, situational. I, I, so, I, didn't, I didn't get into situational awareness really big until I was on my own. Living in... Just by myself. San Bernardino. Yeah, just, yeah. there's no one to really go to. No one's watching over me, so you got to watch over yourself. Yeah. That experience I had with the other dude, you know, where he was just like, pretending to be a baller when he really wasn't just yeah. realizing. That's all I got to do. I remember you, you told me a story once during during the infamous uh, Grandpa Neil story time at work. You got <laughs> chased when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. And he, it ran into your apartment or something. It was up in San Jose, right? It was in San Jose, and I was coming home, and the dude was drunk. And I, what stood between us was a car. He's like, I'll jump over this car like no other. Oh, man. And we're going back and forth, and he jumped on top of the roof of the car, and that's when I broke loose. <laughs> and I ran, and I ran up the stairs, 
went into the apartment. Of course, the door was unlocked. Shut the door, told my mom, and the guy was like, ah. broke, punched a hole in the door, and started like yelling into the hole. Went across the street, <clears throat> called the cops. Cops came by, and they go, oh, there he is. He's walking back, and the cops went out there. And <laughs> cops, in their special way, dealt with him. <laughs> and never saw the guy again. Did, did anything instigate that? Or was it just he was just drunk and was looking for, for some trouble? I'm sure. Just drunk, yeah. attitude, tough guy. Yeah. Here comes a little punk kid. I'm going to flex. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so since, since we're talking about this, what do you do on a daily basis to, I wouldn't say increase your situational awareness, but some things that you've learned that's, that turn into habits that you do in certain areas or certain places, like, for instance, like when, for me, after working on a uh, particular Native American reservation, there's one thing I always do, and that's anytime I pull up to uh, anywhere I'm going to stop in my car, my seatbelt comes off first before I even stop the car, and I'm pulling up. So that way, if I need to bail out of the car real fast, I can do that. Is there anything that you do every day? Based off an experience or just based off something that you created a habit out of? So when I listen to you say, I take my seatbelt off before I stop, I'm like, dude, <laughs> overreacting. But I do the same thing in a sense of when I pull into a parking lot, I take my seatbelt off. No one really pays attention in the car. No one even notices. I don't put my seatbelt on until I leave the parking lot. For the same maybe scenario which I've never had to use or employ, but I'm comfortable doing that. Uh, when I leave at 5.30 in the morning to go to work, I turn on the outside uh, lights, a quick survey. Before I drive off, I check, I look at the front door, have my cup of coffee in hand, kind of just do a little walk along, just to keep the family safe, turn the alarm back on, go about my day. When I go to bed, or at night when I go to bed, when I know we're not going outside first yeah. night, I just I actually turn the alarm on where it doesn't if someone comes in, it goes off. But just yeah, you know. But when you were when I was younger, good and I still had an alarm, I never turned it on. When I was younger with no kids, no no girlfriend, no Yeah. Wife, no, I got didn't you. care, never turned the alarm on, gun under the pillow. Now it's like Oh, changer. you actually slept with a gun underneath your pillow? Yeah, under like the next pillow. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> You got kids, right? So now it's Can't do that. you got to be responsible. Yeah, you know what? A, what a heartbreak for something ever happened. You know, I got I have friends. Oh, my kids know better. Well, you know, friends I, don't. Congratulations that uh, your kids do. I'm not willing to take that chance. Yeah. So, and what's funny is I've never told my kids I have guns. They've never seen me with a gun. Oh, really? But somehow they know I have a gun. Yeah. I don't know. Mom said something, which mom doesn't talk about that. I don't know. It's interesting. So, so I'm looking for this video. And it's on an uh, Instagram page called Ready Man Network. I just can't find it. Uh, so just kind of switch gears a little bit. When you're walking around in public with your family, are you more on edge? I wouldn't say on edge, but are you more... Uh, situationally aware versus when you're by yourself, if you have your family with you? Yeah, 
because it's when you're by yourself, you can coordinate and move in an instant. But when you have multiple people and people who don't understand, that's a little bit of a challenge. And I think the situational awareness ticks up just to avoid any kind of bad situation I possibly may be walking into. Like, uh, here's something interesting as a youth. I don't go to house parties anymore. Really? Someone always wants to fight me. Guaranteed. Uh, I think because I'm very social, I could pretty much make a friend in a Ku Klux Klan meeting. You know what I mean? So almost every house party I used to go to, someone would want to fight me. So I learned my lesson. I just, just don't go. Hell yeah. So if I go somewhere in a social event, I'm on I'm, I'm on guard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you brought that up and I got this video. So I'm going to pass this over to you. Just hit play down there. To describe the video, it's a, vi- it's a surveillance camera uh, or security camera. And it's inside of a shop. This dude comes in out of nowhere, goes straight up to the guy who's at, who's checking out. It looks like a customer. And looks like he either punches him or something in the back. And the guy kind of that gets punched is kind of taken off balance and taken by surprise and kind of backs up and runs out the door holding his back. So then the guy standing right next to him gets the same thing, except now you can tell that the dude's getting stabbed. So the dude gets stabbed in the back multiple times. If someone wants to get the 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 jump on you, dude, it's like surprisingly it's it, it's easy to do that unless you take certain steps. And, and for me, I always look at people's hands. I don't know if, if that's what you do, but I find myself doing all those things and it's been shaped by uh, previous experience in law enforcement roles and all that stuff that I've held throughout my life. But it's crazy, man. I don't know if it's happening more, if it's just being reported more. I don't really look at hands, but that's what's going to get you right. Stab, yeah. shoot, punch, push, whatever. I, I think I look at demeanor. What do you mean? How people carry themselves, how they talk, how they posture. Oh, okay. One time I was in Stater, <laughs> Stater Brothers in Riverside, and these two gangbangers came in, and they were just barking up a storm as soon as they walked in. Yep. Glad I'm about to pay and leave. You know? That's the kind of stuff I and I'm not, I don't think I'm on guard. You can't be. No. And in that video you show me, you can't anticipate that. You can't. And so I'm 48 years old and I've never been, I've never had to really defend my life. So I take that into account. So far, everything's been pretty good. Just pay attention a little bit more, especially when you're with your family. And it'll be good. Oh, here's something funny. I was thinking about this last night. So I was taking a gun safety class, and I'm listening to this instructor. I don't sit by any windows at a restaurant, and my back's never to any entrance. I know where all my exits are. My wife and the kids know. I got a code word when it's time for daddy to go to work. And I was like, oh, wow. That's good. Legit. Must be a cop or something. And then we go, <laughs> we're at the shooting range, and he's talking to the guy next to me. I'm going to ask him a question, and he's, oh, yeah, I work at FedEx. No no dig on FedEx, but. <laughs> Motherfucker, what? <laughs> Again, you know, it's like the guy talked a good game, and I'm like, oh, I'm just, like, admired by this. Thing. Like, wow, this guy's my genius. Must be undercover. He wasn't, like, ex-military or anything or uh, nothing you knew of? No. And then my view of him changed as I, I 
heard that. And I'm like, this dork. But I took another class. And these are years apart. And there's these two dudes and they're they're sitting in front of me and the guy's giving this spiel about gun safety. And the guy's like, man, when I get my gun permit, I'm carrying all my three guns at the same time and someone looks at me wrong. Damn, and that's just, that's the wrong negative yeah, attitude. 100%. Um, even if that person's full of SHIT. And then my jerk mind, I'm like, dude, I'm going to knock that cheeseburger out of your fat face. Take your gun. And you ain't going to catch me because you're going to quit running after 10 seconds. Oh, dude, that's well, it's <laughs> it's true, though. Like when you take on the responsibility of obtaining your CCW and you carry a firearm, you should never be in that mentality of, oh, I can't wait for a motherfucker to do something. That is the last thing I ever want to happen to me. And if you have the mentality of, oh, I, I can't wait. Or I've heard the term uh, uh, stateside kill. Have you ever heard of that? Nope. Uh, I think it originated from the veteran population. Is they they can't wait for uh, a stateside kill, meaning you, oh, you get okay. someone stateside, domestic versus, defense. You know, yeah, defending. Versus, yeah, okay. versus overseas. So I, I hate that mentality. I've never had that mentality. Uh, yeah, I can't say never. Um, back in my younger years, I know I'm already young, but. I was working for that reservation in a law enforcement role. I was not a law enforcement officer. They called it a public safety officer, which is all the same stuff, just without uh, official training. They they looked at my transcripts and my training records from the Air Force and said, oh, yeah, this this fits, which is horseshit because Air Force security forces, law enforcement portion is five weeks long. That's all you get is five weeks worth of law enforcement training so they put me out there uh I, I get stuck with an fto dude i think maybe four shifts fto is field training officer and then after that they said hey there you go hey how would you like to run the night shift i'm 19 years old <laughs> never led anything in my entire life so they put me in charge of three other officers and a dispatcher doing my thing. The first shift, I'm by myself. I made contact with this uh, tribal member who was drunk as shit trying to get into the gate. And I was just simply going to give him a ride home. And he uh, he starts going on. I make contact with him. I'm like, hey, hey man, just, just want to check on you and make sure you're good. I'm a 19-year-old kid. I don't want to start shit. I know I'm not shit. And I ask him, hey, let me just give you a ride home. You okay with that? Oh, fuck you, Whitey. You fucking took this, this, this for me and my people. And I was like, whoa, whoa, chill out, chill out. He ends up fumbling. Thank God he was so drunk. He ended up fumbling with something in his waistband. And at that point, I was like, oh, shit, something's about to go down. So I was too close to him. There, There's something in the law enforcement world called a reactionary gap. I had zero reactionary gap because I was right up on him. He started fumbling with something in his waistband. I ended up taking him down. I just kind of push him because he was so drunk. So thank God, again, he was so drunk. And we start wrestling around on the ground a little bit. I somehow get on my radio, call for help. The rest of the officers get there. And thank God there was a uh, dude at the gate, an officer at the gate who was about 10 feet away who saw everything go down. Got him in handcuffs, reached into his waistband. He had a, a kitchen knife about 
I don't know, six or seven inches right there in his waistband. And that's what he was trying to pull out on me. So at that point, that changed my mentality. And after that happened, it's I was young, I was impressionable, and I was sitting there, I was like, you know what? Man, I handled like a fucking champ, even though I didn't. I thought I did. No one said any, any otherwise to me. And so my mentality changed to, man, I would go to work and be like, shit, you know what? I, I wish a motherfucker would today. Because you won that day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That didn't last long. <laughs> that did not last long. And uh, that place humbled me of all, because of all the experiences I had there. And before that, I really wanted to be a cop. Like, that was my goal. I, I went through security forces training. And after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a cop. That's what I'm going to do. And that place smacked that fucking idea right out of my head. Because I realized, like, dude, I was changing. Like, there's, there's no way. I was on edge all the time going home. I was looking at everyone's hands. I was constantly thinking someone was about to pull some shit on me. So it was, it was not a, a good mentality to have. And, and granted, I was young. But there's no one there to, to guide me mm-hmm. to the right mentality. And there's no one there to, to guide me and say, hey, you don't have to think like this all the time. But I didn't know any better. So it's, it's easy to get into those mentalities. And it's really hard to get out of them. Yeah, in my club years. What do you mean? You mean golf club? Nightclubs. Oh, oh, oh. I probably got more than a few scuffles that I needed to. I won some, I lost some. And when you win them, you're like, you know, you're the ass. And I think as I got older, I began to walk away and you feel like a coward. You feel like a punk. You're mad at yourself. But the morning I woke up, you kind of take a look at what you have in life. And that was a smarter move. Doesn't relate to your story at all, but no, I kind of think about that in a sense of man, you got to be really aware of what you're doing and the values that are at risk for the actions you're about to take. Let's talk about some workout stuff. Uh, that book I keep telling you to read. Oh, uh, honed, honed. Yeah, Mike Simpson. I want to yeah. say his name is. I wish it really would be out on audio. Yeah. So Mike Simpson. It, uh, excuse me. Dr. Mike Simpson. Word. He's an MD. Joined the military, enlisted first, got out, went the officer route, Green Bray, Ranger. Uh, he was a uh, Special Forces uh, Battalion Surgeon, I believe. And that's where why he went back to med school and all that shit and did all that stuff through the Army. The Army paid for it all, which is a really smart move if you're looking into doing that without coming out with, what, 100 plus grand of debt. Uh, anyway, so he he's a SWAT medic now. He uh, wrote a book called uh, Honed, Finding Your Edge as a Man Over 40. Uh, Neil, you're barely over 40, right? You're like 41, 42. Something like that. I lost track. So what are you finding? So let's let's compare your your physical ability from when you were 20 to when you're today, 48. First, there's no family, right? Yep. So you have all the time in the world. Like a gym that's open 24 hours. You can go whenever you want. Uh, you know, go work at 10 o'clock at night. And focus and do all my stuff. <clears throat> strength training, cardio. To now, it's 
wife, kids, work, and work, and this is self-induced, puts a, I have a lot of stuff on my plate that I need to do for work. So that kind of occupies time. Uh, obviously, you're getting older. You're not as strong. You're not as flexible. I do take a lot of stuff for granted. Like I went for a run yesterday. And with family, I feel like if I go work out, I'm taking away from my family. So let me go get this done. So I don't stretch. I just go for a run. I'm probably paying for that. And, yeah. I, and I actually am because going to chiropractor is like, dude, your IT band's all jacked up. Um, I don't visit the gym very much. Fortunately, where we work, we are allotted time to work out, but I don't work there every day. So it's a challenge. It's, I think it, it becomes a challenge because of life. Because I, if I still had the same thing, if I was single, no kids, and I'm 48 years old, I could still do the same things as far as focusing and working out. What about like aches and pains? And did you feel like, because I'm starting to feel it, but like if you used to be able to like just jump into things and to, to give you some context, I was thinking the other day, before I went to the fire academy, I didn't do any kind of workout. I didn't do any kind of preparation physically, and I just jumped into it. And I didn't get hurt miraculously, and I did fine. But now, if I want to physically prepare, for, if, if I want to do something that's physical, like for probation, and this was only two years ago now, and I had to do a lot of physical preparation and continuous physical training and stuff throughout that to, to make sure I didn't get hurt. And to make sure that I was still performing up to the standard or above the standard. So, what do you think? Is it taking you more preparation to do certain things in the physical aspect, or versus when you were in your twenties or younger? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess when you're younger, you just you up and go. So, you know, my time in the hot shots. You woke up at zero dark thirty, got a cup of coffee, went to briefing, drove somewhere got out and went to work. There is no stretching. Uh, you know, I know one guy who got up early in the morning to stretch and afterwards, but other than that, you know, and your body recovers, but now it's it's harder. When I was on probation, you know, I sat down with my wife and <clears throat> I said, you got you gotta hold it down for a year. So I would get off of work and I would go do some pretty lengthy uh muscular endurance, cardiovascular workouts, but I had all the time in the world. I was almost like I was single. I stretched for 30, 40 minutes, went to U of R, did some good workouts, bunch of spin classes, running at Del Rosa. I was doing the Murph every Friday, like the legitimate Murph. Well, full Murph? Full Murph, but I didn't like, you know, was I didn't do 300 squats continuously. I broke all that up. Oh, yeah. That's that still, yeah, that's still for full but Murph. every Friday, you yeah. know. And I was doing it every – I was working out really, really hard before – I got picked up with the city fire department. Luckily, I had a winter where I controlled my environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was getting it done. Well, um, I'm glad you got it done. And uh, I do hurt. Yeah, man. Back hurts. Knee hurts. There's some there's some real beasts where I work at, and I cautiously avoid some of those workouts because yeah. I know I don't do that every day and it will put me down for a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then I'm just worthless. You know, I, I think you have to be focused and gradually build up to that and then yeah. get back into it. But 
So we've talked about this before, and I know your stance on it, but I want your stance to be distributed out to everyone. So you were a hotshot, which is a very, very, very physically demanding, very hard on your body job for 20 years. Yeah. Compared to your job now, what do you what do you think? So, because and this is this is why I'm bringing this up. I know you have a very educated stance on this, right? I I think it's educated for everyone listening. Neil just made his doubting face, but um. So the reason I bring that up is because hot shotting in the wildland world, specifically hot shotting, is in at times more physically demanding for longer periods of times than. Uh, than what we have right now is city farm. Everyone knows that. That's not a that's not a uh, an opinion. That's a fact, right? You're not doing what you guys were doing for 21 days in a row on 16 hour shifts, getting only eight hours off, which means you're probably only gonna get about five or six hours of sleep, and then you're back up doing it again, right? Yeah, yeah. It, that's not truly accurate. It's like in theory. The 16-hour paid shift is two hours in the morning to get your stuff dialed in, get, you know, briefing, travel, two hours on the back end, travel back, get fire rehab. So it's 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 a 12-hour operational period, but the reality is more often than not, you're working beyond those 12 hours of physical labor because that mind, <clears throat> most hotshots in the leaders in the hotshot community, the mindset is you get the job done and we're going to work. You know, we're going to push it as far as we can for a day of accomplishment. So, yeah. Okay. So, compared to what we do now, since you've experienced both worlds, what do you think is going to be harder on your body over a, a career? And when I say career, 20 to 30 years. Uh, the, what do you mean? 20 years of hotshot versus 20 years of, yeah. Um, you know, physically? I would say the hotshot community because you you don't prepare every day to maintain your physical well-being. You wake up and you go. Sometimes you're sleeping in the dirt and the dirt's not the most comfortable thing to do and you, you just go. But you, for the most part, have a controlled environment. I'm going to work this many hours. I'm going to be down this many hours. The municipal side, man, the lack of sleep wrecks you man it it wrecks you the physical demand of the job <clears throat> when it happens you can get smoked for sure in a short period of time you got all that gear on that ba i swear it weighs like 300 pounds um everything's uncomfortable every move's uncomfortable you know when you get down to the floor and you got to pull that hose there's no flexibility in those turnouts. It's just rough. I think that one fire we went to down the street. I went through two ladders. I went straight to a rotary saw, cut down a couple fences. Man, they hose, which was pretty easy with Tyler. And then I went up on the stick for the water tower. And, you know, you're up there. That's uncomfortable as all heck. And the ladder is pretty narrow. I'm a pretty big dude. So that was a long night. You know, I think we were probably running like five or six hours. That's a long time though. Yeah. So I, I came home. Um, I went to the bank. 
Got off work, went to the bank, driving home, called the wife. The wife said, oh, the grandparents are here. Oh, sweet. Hey, do you mind if I go study for a test coming up? She's like, cool. Super supportive. I feel guilty studying because I know I'm taking away from my family. So there's stress on there. But then I accomplish what I need to accomplish. And I go home and I'm walking in with those books. And Grandpa said something. I'm like, yeah, man. I like being busy. So I was like, man, I need to. I'm taking on too much. I need a break. It's hard to say no. Yeah. Do your kids start to notice those things? Do they, like when you're you're gone all the time, working, and then you come back, and you're like, oh, sorry, kids, I got to study a little bit. Do they pick up on that? The trick I have is I try not to come home and study. Mm. I try to get off work and go study somewhere so they don't see a break. Yesterday we went to the, me and the kids and I went to the park, and I had my flashcards in my pocket. So while they were playing, I was doing that. They're not paying attention to dad. They're yeah. trying to break their arm and their leg and stuff, jumping all over the place. So I got away with that. Put the kids to bed. Then I'll try to study. Um, it's kind of like when I was on probation. We had a plan. We understood the sacrifice. Completed it. Celebrate. Relax. But then something was put on my table that I couldn't say no to. And here I am starting all over again. You know, then you pick up something else, you pick something else. It's hard to um, separate family and or life, family life and professional life. And then to schedule that, and we were talking this morning, I'm a fan of, I'm a list guy. I have a whiteboard at home. I come home and I write down what I need to do because I'm like, you know, a dog and he sees a squirrel and I'm a oh, squirrel. You know, I got to keep focused. I got to keep on point. I even yeah. put time frames on what I do or what I want to do. Um, you know, put the hide a key on the stuck over on the corner of the house. 30 minutes. I'll write 30 minutes. And I'll actually put a timer on my phone. That's how nerdish I am in that world. Just to try to control my environment, give me a sense of accomplishment. Don't take away from the family. That's tough. Yeah. It's tough because I, I know my kids notice that, especially going through school and all that. Coming home from five or six days on, oh, sorry, kids. Dad's got to dad's gotta study. I got homework. I got this. I mean, the other day, Aiden was like, Dad, why are you always busy when you're home? Yeah. Dang it, man. <laughs> Dang it. You're right. So made some changes, but it's good. You know what I really miss? And we you, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago because you were telling me about your daily schedule when you were still in the crew and during the off season, right? You talked about hey, there's project work, there's this, this, and this. But as you started to ramp up for the fire season, you started hitting the gym a lot. And you started doing these things, and you had a consistent schedule, right? Dude, I really miss that because, and not that specific, but so uh, before my uh, my little trip overseas. That was it, dude. That was like we we trained, we worked out, we slept, we ate, we hung out, and did it all over again every single day. And that consistency is probably the most consistent my life has ever been. And I I, I missed that because there was no responsibilities. I was single, no kids, nothing. And all I was worried about. I didn't even have a car payment, dude. Can you believe that? 
you hear David Goggins, I think he's talking to Joe Rogan. He loved the military life because it was structured. Yeah. And he put himself in that box and it it, it was it was perfect. Kind of the same thing with uh you know, the Forest Service. Not so much today, because as I was getting out, there is year round fire season, wild fire season. Um, when I first started, when the when the winter came, it was done. You didn't have to worry about anything. So you controlled, you built this schedule, and I loved it. You were probably in in our first podcast. I said you were in your best shape a month into starting because you had all winter to eat right, focus on what you needed to focus on: running, working, lifting weights, whatever. And then the season started, and then you were getting hammered a little bit hard more, but you were ready for it. Yeah. Versus when I showed up that month in, man, I would got, I got smashed to the ground, <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't prepare myself correctly. Oh, man. Um, so have you ever had someone like on the crew that just straight up quit like on a hike or on a training hike or, or anything like that? Yeah. Check this out. This is a good story. You could probably record this. Yeah. Yeah. Put that mic into your face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't work for the agency anymore, so the things I did don't represent what they are doing today. <clears throat> we had pers- prospective crew members show up, and uh, you interview them, you talk to them, and we had two guys. One just got out of the Marine Corps, one just got out of the Army. And we're talking, and I'm like, hey, thank you for your service. This is what we believe you guys should be doing to get ready so you don't suffer physically and academically because if you're getting smashed physically you ain't going to stay awake in the classroom you're gonna fall yeah. apart. and i had two very confident individuals confident individuals who i, I ain't worried about super five do or die okay hired them one of them was a friend in the forest service and it was like cousin or uh, some family member I don't know. then the other marine was a friend of somebody and the first day, we went on a hike. The Marine, I can't remember what, what guy it was, quit. I'm out. This ain't for me. Nope. Pass. That was it. Smash him to the ground. That, that was, was it. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Other guy tried to quit. We're like, no, nah, man, just keep hanging to, I think, third day. He pissed himself on a hike. Quit. Later. Damn. That whole perception of. Being tough and being badass. And and then you get humbled. You get fucking humbled. It's always a bigger fish. Yeah. It's just a different beat down. Yeah. We heard a guy, Army Ranger. I don't know if we talked about that. Probably not. I don't remember. My first year as a squad boss, you sit in a room and you, you review applications. And this was that error or the old era of hiring a vet. I'm sure you can hear this. The old perception of hiring a vet was you're going to hire some guy who's been out of the military 20 years. He's four years old. He's beat down. Yeah. And we, it was negatively viewed. So I'm in this, in this room. We're getting ready to hire. We're looking at application. And it's you give a vet. You always look at a vet first. Rightfully so. 
doesn't mean you have to hire them. And that's ignorance of people. Oh, you have to hire a black guy. You have to hire a vet. No, you don't have to hire these people. But you got to look at them, just like everybody else should be looking at them. So I was sent there to do the recruitment stuff for Del Rosa. And um, the guy gives us bill. Let me make sure you look at the vets. And I raise my hand. Anyone look at this guy right here? Oh, yeah, we called him. He sounds kind of slow. Well, I'm thinking I need to do the right thing the right way at the right time. So, well, is it all right if I take a look at it? Yeah. I grab his folder. I open it up. Army Ranger, combat medic, combat medic. He just got out like two months ago. Anyone look at this folder? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds slow. All right, I'm going to give him a call. Lived down the street, brought him in, look legit. I'm going to hire you, dude. Hired him on the spot. Super confident in his ability. Different kind of beat down beast. Had a little rough go, but then, you know, figured it out because mentally tough, came into shape. <clears throat> That's when I, I realized I got to be my own man and and dig into the answers versus taking it from somebody else. Yeah. This guy's slow. Yeah. The bad perception of the guys that were hiring the password. Folks who've been on the military for several years versus the guy uh, who just got out and he did something special, you know. So, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So, give me a time. One of my favorite things is to hear people tell stories about the times they've been the most broke off in their lives. The most. A time where you thought, man, if I keep going right now, I'm probably going to die, shit my pants, or piss my pants. Or all, <laughs> all three. I had a lot of those. So give me the time that sticks out to you where you're like, this is it. This is how I go. Ooh. Maybe not that far, but the time where you were like, dude, this is, I'm tired. I don't know if I can keep going. Mm. I'll tell this one story. Uh, Whitewater, which is out towards, going towards Palm Springs. Yeah. We get a fire. Uh, we drive out there. It's summertime, so it's probably 187 degrees. Mm. And no less, no more than 187 yeah. degrees. And then, <laughs> and then there's total of three hotshot crews. Us, Mill Creek, BG. And I'm taking the crew up the hill, and there's this intrinsic competition to get there first. And I can guarantee those guys are in the same boat. So you're grinding. There's a trail that leads to the top, but ain't nobody taking that trail completely. You're shortcutting it, cutting all switchbacks. You know, you're trying to go hard in the paint. You try not to let dudes fall out because then, then you look even worse. You know what I mean? We get to the top, do our fire stuff. They fly in, and I know, I'm like, it's hot. I need to drink a lot of water. They fly in some cold Gatorade. I'm drowning Gatorade like no other. I feel great. It's over. Fire's over. Come down the hill. About three quarters down the hill. I'm like, well, I don't feel good. Get to the bottom. Then uh, overhead's talking. Send the guys back to the truck to do their stuff, fire rehab. And I sit down. I'm like, I don't feel good. Get back. They have some food for us. I, I, I wolf it down, and we start to drive home. And um, I don't, we're on the 10 freeway, dude, and I went into full body cramp mode. I was, like, screaming. Well, first, let me back up. I, I told the squatty, hey, pull over, dude. I'm going to get in the back. Pulls over, 
and on the on the buggies it has an air dump to lower it. I said, you got to lower it, dude. I can't pick up my legs. Getting back in the buggy and all the way home, I'm screaming this crap. So I probably had Rabdo before Rabdo was cool. Get home, take a shower, drink about three beers. My pinky toe is cramping, you know. Uh, get up in the morning, go back to work, go to another fire, you know. So I fall <laughs> apart, but I, I put myself back together. Hang we on, went back to work. Your remedy for, for full body cramps is to go home, <laughs> drink some beer, sit in a cold bath. No, that was a shower. Oh, shower. Yeah. And uh, then go back and do it again. And, and go back to work the next day. So I took, uh, again, I took pleasure. Oh my gosh. I wasn't a, I, I was not a beast, but I would ride my bike in the morning from San Bernardino to Del Rosa, go work out. And this is, so this is like hell pay period. Yeah. Ride my bike from my house to Del Rosa, have like an hour break, go work out in the morning, go work out in the afternoon and ride my back home bike back home at night. And then I think it was like nine miles. I, I can't remember. Um, Dang, dude. But that earned my right to have two beers. Oh, okay. So, so you, it was like, okay. Yeah, so it, it just became a habit. Every time yeah. I came home, and then if we had a campaign fire where I was coming home, I'd call Jersey's Pizza. Yeah. They knew me by name. Is this Neil? <laughs> you know it. Hit the Stater Brothers, get a 12-er, get a large pizza, and I would come home and go straight to work. Mow the lawn, wash the clothes, do all the stuff I needed to do because I only had, you know, a, a day and a half off. And we were going to jam out again. So that just kind of became my rite of passage, get my drink on. And that's single, Neil, no kids. Yeah, no kids, single, life is good. Yeah. You know, and like, <laughs> again, man, why is the drawers open? Why is this, why is this not done? But when I was single, if I left the house a mess, I knew I was coming back to the same mess because that was my mess. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like my anal retentive. If I left the house clean, I came back to it clean. And of course, I got kids and a wife that lives in that home every day. So nothing's going to be nothing's going to be perfect. Something I'm working on. It's hard to let go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got. I want to tell this quick story before we end because it's it has to do with a mutual friend of ours. So. It was my very first strike team on a wildland incident. And it was down near the border. It was called the border fire. There's been like 16 of them since then. And on that strike team was a mutual friend of ours who I got hired with at Cal Fire. And his name was Rob Velasquez. Crazy in shape. I mean, he super, I mean, he was a squad boss, right? For you. And he was on the crew for how long? I don't know. I would say 10 years. Ten, at least 10 years. Yeah, I think so. Super in shape. Used to the hiking. Used to the heat. And I remember everyone had one hose pack on. One. And they're heavy, right? Hose packs aren't, aren't light. They suck. And on top of the, the gear we already had on. This motherfucker double packs it. Goes right up the fucking hill. All of us are zigzagging. Because it's we're getting all fucking broke off, and I remember I drank all my water by the time I got to the to where we needed to extend the hoseway, and uh, not to not to get off topic, but we couldn't even get any fucking water to the hoseway, but we were still extending. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, so we're extending this hoseway dry, and I drink all my water, 
and it's at this point it's probably around close to midday, and the temperature shoots up to uh, 108, and I start feeling like shit. But I look up and I see Rob, and it's like a fucking walk in the park for him. He's sitting there scouting ahead, coming back to us, telling us, "Hey, just a little bit further up, and the other strike team's over there." He would walk back up there, hike back to us. Hey, you guys good? Okay, all right. Give us some more hose. Walk away. And he has a, two hose packs on this entire time. And I'm like, this fucking guy's insane. Like, there's something wrong with this guy. It turns out he's just a hot shot. I didn't know he was a hot shot. And then later on, I found out that yeah, he was he was a hot shot for quite some time. So I had a tremendous amount of respect for that guy. And uh, after that, for for hot shots, because I didn't know. Uh, that was my first year really in the fire service was with that. And I didn't even know, I knew of hot shots. I just didn't know exactly what it entailed. So got a lot of respect for that guy. I hope, I hope that we can get him on the show. We should do an episode of like the, whoever's with us, like five stories of being broke off or what you saw because I was never in great shape, so when I could snap someone off, I just got a giggle in my fucking yeah. face, you know. I remember we had this one guy. <laughs> I got another story, but yeah, go, go. <laughs> this one guy, uh, he went to another local hotshot crew, and he, he he was like a guest, so he would he went on like three or four trips with them, and he called, and I needed a body. He was back on the engine. And I'm like, okay, and I was go on scale one to ten, being in shape with it. Oh, ten. I just did like four trips with local. So we go on a hike, and it was super easy fire, and he bushed up. Bushed up means he broke off and fell into a bush and just like, I can't. So the next day, we get up, and we have a brutal hike because I hate flying. And not the act of flying, but I hate going to hella base. You're going to fly in 15 minutes and four hours later, right? We'll just hike up. Screw it. And the song I'm going to ride, Carrie, um, I gotta let you go. I gotta let you go. I think I've heard it. See if I can find it. But keep telling stories. <laughs> and I had heard it this morning, and I changed the words when I saw the guy. I'm gonna break you off. <laughs> sure enough, dude. And I think Rob had to hold his hand because he bushed up again. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's there's some dudes out there, man. They're really kind hearted because they could snap you off at a moment. Yeah, if they want absolutely. To. But there's no there's no value in that. So, last story I'm going to tell. I, dude, I usually don't tell stories like this. I like but, stories. But you got me going. So, we had this. Let's see, when was this? I was a salty third year seasonal at Cal Fire. And I was at the divorce station. And it was right in the middle of a staffing parent. I had been on for a couple weeks already. One of our other friends, my partner Thomas, was on the opposite engine. So, we at that point, divorce. Since it was a staffing pattern, we had two engines staffed out of there. The middle of a heat wave. Our engine had just gotten back from a fire in Anza. Do you remember? Do you know where that is uh, on Riverside? Yep. So we get back the next morning. It's the uh, beginning of the heat wave, and it's already at eight o'clock in the morning. It was 102 degrees, so we knew we were. It was going to be a long day. So we're doing our morning stuff about nine o'clock. We look over up the cone pass and we see this massive fucking header. 
And we're like, oh, hell yeah, game on. We thought it was a semi-truck fire because it was thick, dark smoke. Not typical of a, of a beginning of a wildland fire. So we get our turn. I put my turnouts on. The other guys on the other end didn't put on their, uh, their wildland stuff. We pull up. All we see is a box truck on fire full of tires. And it extended on one of the steepest parts of the pass. On the, uh, so that would be the east side. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I dressed wrong, first off. So I'm sitting there trying to get all my shit on. My helmet goes rolling across all the lanes <laughs> of, the, of the 15 freeway. Uh, and we have a guy with us um, on the other engine that this was his first shift with Cal Fire. First shift in the fire service in general, right? The look of fear on this guy's face when he saw how steep this fucking hill was and how fast that fire was going is engraved in my head <laughs> yes, forever, dude. And I was with a guy who was on the VD uh, crew for probably close to 10 years. And he looked at him. He's like, hey, you ready to get broke the fuck off? <laughs> yes. And this new guy's like, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we, uh, we all get packed up. We start going doing this hose lay. It was hot as shit. The wind was blowing. Just literally the steepness of it was insane. And we get about halfway through. The new guy is out of hose, looks at my partner, who's the the hot, the former hot shot, looks at him and was like, oh, I'm out of hose. And he looks at him and he's like, here, I got something for you. <laughs> Gives him more hose. And this look of defeat on this guy's face is the other look that's going to be ingrained in my head forever. Because this guy was kind of a turd, so and we knew. I mean, he yeah. took vacation his first real shift and took it off, which you don't usually do. But we get further up. He runs out of hose now. My partner runs out of hose. I run out of hose. And the guys from the feds that we were with ran out of hose. So we all go back down. And at this point, we're, it's, a, it's a hike. It's a hike down. It's a hike back up with those packs. We get down to the bottom. And I look over at this guy, this new guy. And he's sitting there, pale as pale as you can be. He's all zipped up, velcroed up, goggles on, shroud closed, right? And I'm like, dude, you need to open up. You're gonna you're gonna overheat. And he looks at me, he's like, I think I'm gonna go down. <laughs> and he goes down so fucking hard. He just hits the, he just falls back. Oh wow. He hits the pavement. And we're like, oh shit. <laughs> So we get him in the ambulance, and uh, he had, he actually had rhabdo. Oh, so wow. he was off for two weeks because he couldn't get his levels down. And uh, But I will always remember that when he, the look of fear in his eyes when he saw how steep and what, what we were about to do. And all of us were, ended up being fine. Uh, it was still, by the, end, by the time we caught that fire, it was uh, well into one like 115 range of, of temperature mm -hmm. and it was it sucked but uh there's a few people that went down that one we had a couple inmates from the inmate crew that went down had to be airlifted out uh a hell attack dude from the forest service went down i mean it was just a hot fire and this that was this guy's this new guy's first fire and that was that's what he did so three things <clears throat> we were in a fire in arizona and every day, somebody had to get flown out. Oh, shit. Yeah. Not not from my crew, 
But every day someone was getting flown out there, just getting snapped off. And then when this was becoming prevalent, I remember we were on a fire and the safety officer called me, hey, we're going we're gonna to take a break while we're cutting initial attack cutting line. And I kept going, kept the guys going. And he called me and said, are those your saws still running? I'm like, yeah, you need to take a break. And I said, are you telling me how to run my program? And it wasn't a good, I, I kept going. Yeah. I have leadership that will tell me when the boys need to take a break. So that was interesting. And then we should do a, like the snap off chronicles or something. Oh man. Yeah. That's what we should title it. One year, um, myself, David Barrero, who's a super Del Rosa now. And then, uh, Augustine Flores, I call him Dr. Rave. He's now the dozer operator. We came to work early to ride our mountain bikes up the water tower, which is just a brutal ride period. You, um, one guy rode his bike and I ran and I beat him running and I'm a slow runner because oh, it wow. just sucks. Yeah. Um, so we start riding. We get to the um, geo marker point, which is about two miles. The guy's like, this I'm out. And we finished it and I called the soup because I was a captain. He was a squatty at the time. Uh, hey, we might be a little bit late. We're coming back down from the water tower. And he was all pissed off at me. for. I said, we might be late. I'm on site. And why are you mad at me? Anyway, we made it back to work on time. And your normal duty starts at 0930 and probably 10 o'clock. Yeah, first alarm vegetation fire in the pass. The go home pass, right? The go home pass. And that was a, I didn't, none of us got snapped off, but you were dreading doing the mountain bike ride that morning. And we're, cutting through the hot ash you got hot boot you're still your feet are on fire you got to hike up and we were on it all day from 10 o'clock till like eight o'clock the next morning going we ran out of fuel we had to get fuel get somehow i forgot how they got it to us um it sucked dude it sucked good times man good times yeah we should do the i like snapped off chronicles everyone that comes onto the show should have a, a time when they're like they have a time to tell when they were snapped the fuck off. Yeah, even if you're like a librarian and you had to put all the books back and you got snapped off. <laughs> so where do you see this thing going, dude? The pod? The pod, man. Where do you see it going? I see it as it stands right now. Getting, a, getting technically proficient finding those people that live under the radar of being famous, infamous, or whatever, that do cool stuff. You know, things that I think like-minded people like us will find interesting and go, oh, man, that's me. You know, if you look at, like, David Goggins, man, he's he's world famous. But he started out just like the rest of us. He took it. He's, we couldn't call David Goggins and say, hey, come and do a podcast. You never know, dude. He was a hot shot. <laughs> he is a hot shot. Yeah, but he'll probably smash us into, hey, let's go work out before we do this podcast. I broke my, broke my legs, bro. But, I've, I've gotten rabbled, rabbled at once. I'm not, I'm not afraid <laughs> of it getting twice. But there's a lot of guys that have that same story. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and I just hope we can, we network and 
the people we talk to introduce us to someone else or people that listen to us introduce us to someone else. And we just hear the average bro or bro Ed, their cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I hope I hope you guys are liking these. We had, from what I was able to see, we had 150-something downloads on the last one. That's without even really advertising it. So that's just kind of word of mouth, which is cool. That means there was 150 people. That's just downloads. You don't need to download it to listen to it. So I don't know how many listens we have, but um, I'm hoping I got the social media up. I don't even remember what the handle is, but let me see. It's called Authorized Podcast. It's on Instagram right now. Uh, that's how fun. Oh, we just got a, We just got our first follow, Neil. You want to know who followed us? Your wife? Nope. Uh, give me a hint. It's nobody we know. <laughs> Everybody. It's a page called Feline's Paradise. I don't want to be so... <laughs> And it's freaky. a bunch of it's a bunch of cats. Uh, that's li- that's literally all it is. It's cats, dude. Fur people, furries. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, please let us know uh, if you guys know anyone that would be good on here that would want to share their story with us. Come on, have a couple drinks. Uh, if you notice, Neil sounds really uh sober right now i apologize i drink too much no that's no such thing um i mean there is such a thing but neil's fine it's only it's because it's nine o'clock in the morning so we decided not to break out the whiskey yet um but yeah so let us know i i think the email should be posted in the description um or just if you know us text text us and if you want to be on the show, go ahead. Let us know. Um, any closing thoughts, buddy? Where do you see the pod? Oh, yeah. So, and so this stuff has been fun, right? It's it's a learning curve. Um, I I want it to become a thing where people look forward to hearing it, but I don't want it to become a thing that you know, we get tied to a certain, um, how do I put this, a certain motive, but narrative. You know, I don't want this to turn into necessarily like a, a super motivational podcast or super, super profound, right? I just, I, I want people to come on and tell their story and say, hey, these people did it. This is how they did it. It, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. If they come on and tell their story, like Sears, that, that last episode, and hopefully we can get a, a redo of that one because what a crazy story she has. And she did it. And I hope that when we do put that one up, that someone hears that and they're like, man, that she did it. So that, I think I think that means I can do it. And so that's what, it, what it's about because I, I, I listen to podcasts to learn things and to hear different stories. And um, I'm hoping to provide that to other people and to have fun while doing it. I don't want it to turn into a work. No, and that's, that's, that's the last thing I want is another, another job. I want to meet different people. I want to meet new people. 
and uh, I want people to have fun. Yeah, I want people dude. to laugh. And we like it. We we make it like a monthly thing to where we get together. I think we're gonna start getting our families together, and we're, we're just kind of like, oh yeah, out and we need to do the wives. Yeah, that's, that's on the books. I don't of. want my wife to get any more mad, <laughs> if that's even correct grammar. You're hanging out with your friends. <laughs> so, but it is it'd be a great um, view from the significant other's perspective of watching us do this career and how we bring it home. Um, there's that phrase, work-life balance. I don't believe in that. I believe in work-life integration Yeah. because I come home and I share my work life with my family and I share my family life with the guys and gals at work. And you create, you have to balance it. And I read a book about it and it was very interesting. You see a person walking on a tightrope and they're perfectly fine. But what they're doing is they're balancing, changing every movement, like every nanosecond to to look smooth and in control. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's what we're doing in life. We're, we're, we suck at it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to balance all this stuff. Sometimes one takes over the other. But that's what I'm walking on a tightrope. Trying to keep this balance of life, family, kids, work, professionalism, and trying to grow in my career and try to teach my family and my kids to be good. Amen, man. Amen. No. Nobody, nobody fucking cares, dude. Are you here to work or not? I don't know. What kind of tough guy? Sponsored by Tough, tough Guy Magazine. <laughs> so shit. Sponsored by ACM, Air Conditioned Muscle. All right, man. I think that's it for this one. Yeah, suck it. All right, cool. That's directly from Neil. Suck it. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, visit our Instagram. Post some stuff. We're going to be posting some content hopefully here soon. Neil has a lot of great ideas. And <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to try to get those all on, on video and out to the masses. So thanks again for listening.